Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Megan Mishak with Path to Presidents Club. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Path to Presidents Club. Uh, who do you serve and how do you do it? Yeah, so um, I have been in sales for the last 15 years in tech sales and enablement for the last six And um, for me, it's always been about the strategy in sales. And what I always tell people about the Path to Presence Club is that um, it started by failing a lot in my own sales experience. And it wasn't until I actually invested in training. I went to Sandler sales training for two years and consumed a ton of resources on sales strategy and techniques that I hit Presence Club for the very first time. So um, I recently, in the last six months or so, started consulting full-time, helping more and more teams and more salespeople on their own path to Presence Club. So um, what I do is it's I'm helping B2B SaaS sales teams close more deals, close bigger deals, and scale their teams in the process. Now, what are some of the mistakes you see salespeople making when it comes to selling? Is it, I mean, some people believe salespeople are kind of born salespeople. Other people believe they can be trained. What 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 are you seeing out there? And I love that question as well because it's one I get pretty often. Um, and for me, I actually don't think about it in terms of the biggest mistakes because I think that that kind of sets this expectation that if you can just avoid those things, then you'll be a good seller, right? I actually see selling as something that you can always get better at, right? It, it Even if you're a top salesperson, the, usually these are the people that are kind of ignored by a lot of training and, and sales leadership teams. But the best sellers that I know, they are continually honing their skills. Even if they're good at a few things, they're getting better and better each day. Um, so it's interesting though, even on the, the question most explicitly, I think the top trends that I see, um, in terms of where teams struggle, easiest one is always discovery, right? It's the foundation of selling. And a lot of times it's the, in the root cause of things like not being able to negotiate well, you don't have any leverage, um, not finding any pain or value, obviously. And it's one of the things that um, a lot of times people don't necessarily learn in a very systematic way. Now, what are some kind of must-have skills for a good salesperson? Ooh, there are so many. And that's actually one thing that I help teams do is to, um, because to take a step back, I I always start with the why with sellers and also with sales leaders, really asking salespeople, what are you trying to achieve in your career? Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Um, what are your your what's your personal mission statement? How are you incentivized and motivated? Um, 
But the issue is that a lot of salespeople don't necessarily know their strengths and weaknesses because for anyone who has worked in sales, there's a lot of skills, right? It's internal relationships, external relationships, there's values, there's performance, there's leading indicators. So one thing that I've been working on is actually making coaching more measurable by listing out all of the core skills by every role. So for BDRs, there's a certain base level of skills, right? It's, um, of course, generating meetings, but it's also understanding verticals. Um, You know, it's business knowledge and product expertise. There's a lot of different things that goes into sales. Um, And then, of course, those skills change and evolve and mature as you go through the ranks of selling from a BDR booking meetings and appointments, or even if you're a full cycle sales rep, um, you know, how can we actually make those skills not just an open-ended question? What are you good at? Where are you struggling? But more of a, a pick list. Um, And even letting people know what those skills are so that they can have a better idea what they're choosing from when they, when we ask them what their strengths and their weaknesses are. So now when you're dealing with a SaaS company, I I guess that's your sweet spot, right? Or uh, software service companies. Yes. Now, um, how, how baked is their sales processes or are they just kind of doing what everybody in the industry does or that, you know, they're just kind of following the similar uh, strategic roadmap? Oh, it is, it really depends, but I, you would be surprised or maybe Lee, you're not surprised, but I think a lot of sales people and sales leaders would be very surprised at how, um, how it's not well-defined in terms of the sales process. So I think a lot of teams, they have their basic sales process. And what I mean by that is that they know what the typical meetings are in terms of what the sales process looks like. And a lot of times that's what they're basing it off of. But what they don't have are gates, right? How do you know what stage you're in? And just because you have a meeting doesn't mean that you're uncovering all of that information, right? How can we move from a meeting-based sales process to an outcomes-based sales process and actually hold people back a little bit, you know, the prospects if we haven't uncovered everything that we need to before moving on to the next stage. Uh, A great example of that is so many times people get pushed to pricing on a first call and they're like, okay, I guess I'm in pricing and proposal now. And you, when you actually move more to meeting, to um, from a, away from meetings based and to outcomes based, you're really enabling salespeople to slow down the process a bit and make sure that they are, for example, identifying pain and value before they're giving that that more in depth proposal. Right. I find um, a, a lot of folks kind of treat this transactionally. And they treat it as like, I'm just checking boxes. I got to get this. I got to get this piece of information. I got to get this. I'm not really listening for anything other than just get this little line check so I can move on to the next thing and and push the person down the funnel and not Mm -hmm. really truly listening and not uncovering maybe, number one, is it a fit or not a fit? Is it something that uh, this person even can make the decision on or am I just kind of going through my whole kabuki dance in order to just redo my kabuki dance, you know, next week with some new person. Um, you know, the the listening part of this, I think, is really a hole in a lot of people's swings. Yeah. And it also 
it brings up the difference between training and coaching. When I do training, it is really easy for me to say, hey, these are the five things you need to uncover in discovery. It's a lot harder for me to actually in a training call, which is usually, you know, like an hour, maybe a few hours max, um, it's really hard for me to figure out how we can get sellers to not only um, apply that and customize it for their process and also work through all of the challenges and the um, some of the, the risks that come up when people try to implement this, but that's where coaching can come in right? Because coaching should help you work through those things. And this is why I think so many times people struggle with training, especially um, even what you're talking about, really like with deal qualification frameworks, like medic or Bant or all of these things, uh, deal qualification can very easily become a checklist where you're like, do you have budget? Do you have authority? Which doesn't make sense to ask, but that's where coaching can come in post-training where you teach the concepts and get them to, you know, start that process of thinking about implementation and customizing their talk tracks and giving some sample questions or, you know, templates um, or scripts, then you're really working with them in coaching sessions to deepen that understanding, to work through challenges, to even get some really best-in-class examples that you can share with the rest of the team to make sure that they're not only they not only understand the concepts, but that they can apply it in their sales process and that they are regularly applying it. Now, isn't that one of the challenges with SaaS companies, especially rapidly growing SaaS companies, that their desire to scale? Um, is is just so high that it's it's difficult to onboard and train and coach all of the salespeople effectively in order to really facilitate that and get that outcome that they desire. One hundred percent, and this is one of the um, the biggest parts of my role over the last six years in sales training and enablement. The number one, I mean, really the first thing I was doing was onboarding myself, but also building the onboarding plan. And it's also interesting to think about onboarding, not only from um, newly hired sales reps, but also newly promoted, really thinking about those paths as sales, especially in SaaS becomes more niche in terms of the roles, you know, have you BDRs that typically were we're like throwing, we, our way of onboarding BDRs a lot of times is throwing scripts at them and templates saying, don't have to worry or think about anything. Just send these templates. That doesn't set people up for success long-term, right? I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have in SaaS selling today is short-sighted views. They're looking to grow so fast that they're really just trying to take all the guesswork out of selling. And that may work for the first few months of a seller in their career, but if we're not teaching them critical sales skills, critical thinking in sales, and really how to understand what they're doing, then yes, they may succeed in the short term just because you're using templates. But when we really think about their long-term growth and development, we're really hindering their ability to be strategic, to understand sales. And um, most importantly, I think one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face in the upcoming years in sales is agility. Where if we're not teaching people sales skills, we're only teaching them what to do, not, you know, how to do it or why they're doing it, then they're not going to be able to adjust the strategies in the moment uh during 
periods of great change in sales, like, I don't know, the last year of COVID, um, you know, changing value props for companies. So it really is. And when we think about the long-term view and strategy around onboarding, ongoing training, it's actually moving a little bit more slowly in order to make sure that sales reps actually understand what they're doing, are strategic, and it's really breaking the the notion that if we can just give them scripts, they'll succeed. Because in my experience, it doesn't work very well. Well, I think uh, also an unintended consequence of that kind of older strategy is that you're burning out a lot of folks and you're souring a lot of people on sales because they think it's that way and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, and that's the very unfortunate trend I'm seeing. Um, I worked for organizations that I was really proud of in, in their ability to get um, bring in entry-level business development reps, again, booking meetings, um, and then they even grew them into a senior BDR, and it was only then that they moved into AE. But what I, what I found when I first joined the organization is that a lot of people weren't going to AE. They were going into partnerships or client experience, and this interesting trend also was that it was even worse um, amongst women and minorities in sales because what they saw was they were expected to jump into the role AE without any training on discovery or like how to be an AE. And they, it, it felt like a very sink or swim environment. And I was like, you're, you're working with these people for two years before they even consider the AE role. Why don't you take some time to train them on some of these skills so they can actually see what it's like to be on the sales team and prepare some of those skills in advance. And it was really interesting because we not only saw more people than ever getting into sales roles because they did it, they actually had an opportunity to learn a few things and they're like, wow, I can do this, right? They had some quick wins, even if it was leading their first discovery call in a role play. It made them feel really confident about their abilities and there's also a little bit of, it's not only the skills, but it's also your leadership style, right? Because so often we treat um, onboarding and ongoing training in a very hands-off way, ironically. I think a lot of times it's it's simply um, asking them questions. How are you doing? Like, oh yeah, let's let's focus on this report. Great question. You're kind of being very reactive with training. Um, a lot of it is very shadowing based just follow some people around and you'll you'll pick up on it, right? By osmosis. But what I see is that most people, especially women and minorities, where they're not, women typically are not going to take a promotion or go for another role in this, unless they feel really confident that they can do it. They're not going to like that experience. So really setting expectations and even going back to what, what we were talking about earlier on defining the roles and the skills associated with each role, it actually makes it a lot easier for people to assess what it would look like even before they're in the role so that they can start building those skills um, even before they're even thinking about a promotion. Now, um, what are the clients that you have, what, what's the pain they're having before they call your team at Path to President's Club? Is it they're just frustrated, they're plateauing? Is it that they're kind of hit a certain milestone, now they can afford you? Like, um, are, you know, what is your sweet spot in terms of client and what is the pain that they're having before they call you? Yeah, so it's typically a few things, and that's where um, it really does shift um, according to what what 
the work we do together. But typically people call me when they're, it's actually two big events. Um, because I work in SAS, usually it's that they, um, they just went through a round of funding and they have all this money and they, but they're also really focused on delivering on the, that investment, right? So it's all about results. And usually what happens is that they know, like they bring in some experienced sales leaders who are like, whoo, we have a few things to fix here. Our close rates are extremely low by industry standards. Like what, what's happening? And especially as you get more into um, like later in the development of the company, you start realizing like that territory gets much narrower. So you also have fewer opportunities with each company to make an impact and to actually um, get the deal done, right? So close rates is usually a big one. Um, also process. As you mentioned, a lot of times they don't have a very clear process. And for more experienced sales leaders that just join a company and realize there's no established process, there's big gaps in the process, they really want to figure out how can we go from stayed like from end to uh, for beginning to end and revamp the process with best practices in mind. Um, and finally, a lot of times they are going through a, a massive hiring spree and they realize if we don't get this right, we're going to experience a lot of what you you mentioned earlier, Lee, which is we're going to churn a lot of sales reps if we aren't if we don't make sure that they're successful and don't have a formal training program in mind. We're also that that's a massive investment, so they want to make sure that the investment they're making in their talent actually provides value, and they're also typically looking at it from a cultural perspective as well, because with um all of the incredible competition um, amongst sales teams today, you want to attract top talent and more people than ever are really looking at their careers strategically saying, what does this company have to offer me? And especially as we go into more remote work environments, it's not a cool pool table and, and foosball, you know, it's more about what can this company do for my development long-term? Do they have a training program? Are they going to invest in me? What systems and processes are they using? Um, and especially because there's more resources than ever before, right? Sales books, sales podcasts, sales radio. Um, they want to make sure that they're going into an, a company that actually is strategic about the way that they approach sales. Now, in your transition from uh, employee to business owner and uh, getting involved in coaching in the way that you do, is there any advice you would give that, uh, a, you know, another entrepreneur that's thinking about moving into coaching as a career, uh, you know, a new career path or a second act maybe in their career? Is there anything kind of do's and don'ts that you uh, wish you could have done again differently um, as you kind of are now in it for a while? Yeah. So the number one thing that I relied on when I was considering the transition was connecting with other people who had done it before. And I felt a lot of imposter syndrome personally as a woman in sales leadership and also as a 30-year-old woman looking to start her own company. I definitely had a lot of um, fears that I was I didn't have enough experience or um, that I wasn't necessarily what people thought of when they thought of a sales trainer. And the when I went and expressed these fears to a lot of leading people in the space, 
they told me a few similar messages. First, they told me, jump on in. The water is warm. Like consulting is um, so valuable to companies, right? Where as an internal employee and trainer, I had an impact on, um, you know, a hundred, a couple of hundred of salespeople. Now as consultant, I actually can have an impact on the broader sales community. Um, So that was really enlightening. And they, they even told me like, Megan, we need more people like you to really help change the projection and um, of sales as a community, as a culture and more. Um, The other thing I would tell people though, is you can start now. I actually started consulting. um, I, I had to check my contract and everything, but I started consulting before I made the formal transition. And I think a lot of times we don't always think about that when we're considering full-time roles, but I would definitely urge coaches, even if they're not ready to jump into consulting or owning their own business today, simply look for companies that are more flexible that will allow you to do consulting on top of your full-time role. Um, that can be very light, loose. Um, I also talked to one trainer who the main thing with um, the company he worked for was that he could do consulting if he did not bring in any revenue from it. Right. So he actually, for a few years, did consulting and um, any revenue he made, he donated to charities. So I think there's a lot of options there. And for me, that is one thing I wish I had done earlier on is really not only relied on a full time role, but I do think that um, when we think about sales trainers going into consulting, the biggest difference I see is that you're actually in the field again. You're, you can practice the strategies that you train on every single day. You'll have a lot more credibility. And it also requires a lot of marketing yourself, marketing your tactics. And for me, personal branding has taught me so much more uh, about what it takes to be a great salesperson. And it's allowed me to test out strategies and topics and ways of engaging audiences that um, I've really learned from in the last six months. Well, congratulations on all the success. If there is a firm out there that um, is going through this kind of transition or maybe just got funding, what is the website for Path to Presidents Club? It's very easy. It is um, www.pathtopresidentsclub.com. So www.pathtopresidentsclub.com. Well, again, congratulations on all the success, and thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work, and we appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. (laughs) 